Okay, we are continuing our study on the Apostles' Creed. We are uh, at the, uh, this is installment number six, I do believe. And many, I know I've shared this with you before, but before I was in uh, this role, I've been at the church now almost uh, five years on staff. I've been a member much longer, but before I was working here, I had a job in publishing. And uh, amongst the various responsibilities I had while, while I was there uh, was to exercise the editorial pen. Uh, that's the stage in publishing uh, that we would call the, the substantive edit. So in other words, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for the grammar errors. I was looking more at context. And so when someone submits a manuscript to me, I would look over it and I would say, you know what, uh, th th this isn't working or this is working or maybe we need to add a chapter here or add a chapter there before they turn in their manuscript uh, for editing, for, you know, for line editing, they call it. I did, yes, thank you. Yeah, I have a, I have a new recording device that, that runs off the board back there. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, working better. That's what it enables when I ask for comments. Your comments now are picked up on the recording. So I, I should mention my mom, uh, again, is my biggest uh, uh, supporter. Uh, and so she would listen to all my Sunday school lessons and she just got telling me, you're whatever you're doing to record is terrible. <laughs> so, you you got to get something new. And so I think we fixed it finally. And, uh, but thank you for reminding me because sometimes I will forget. But anyway, so uh, that was my, my role. I would, I would do the substantive edit uh, before we would turn it over to the line editors that would, would check for the, the grammar and things like that. Uh, and so anyway, uh, those are the types, types of things. They're, they're, as you might imagine, uh, some of those authors, I worked with many, many different authors, some of them were more open to input than others. Uh, there was one book in particular, I will not tell you who, you probably don't, won't even recognize the name. The author was a little difficult uh, as an understatement. And, and I don't think I'm being unfair here because again, I worked with a lot of authors, but this one in particular just wasn't open to any suggestions uh, at all. And if I'm being honest, my job at that point became pretty easy because it was like, okay, if that's how you want it to go out, that's how you'll have the book go out. The book has your name on it, so I hope it goes well for you, all right? If we had a narrator at this point, the narrator would say, the book didn't do well. <laughs> but here's the rub. Uh, when the final manuscript came back to me, when, when it was ready to go to the printer, uh, after I'd long abandoned any hope of having influence on the final product, I opened the file and see that the author listed my name in the acknowledgments page. Now, I, I, again, I should, be, I should be grateful for that. It's a very nice gesture whenever, whenever an author would, would do that. The person was just trying to be nice and acknowledge the work that I had in, in, in bringing him here to the, to the publishing house to begin with, uh, not necessarily for the editorial process. But I remember seeing my name listed there, which, again, is normally a tremendous honor and a gesture and thinking, oh, great, <laughs> you know. Now people are going to know I had, a, I had something to do with this book, right? And, and, uh, and then I had to turn around and thank him for, for putting my name in there, right? So again, it's, it's not really a big deal. And, and unfortunately for the author, no, the book didn't sell well and uh, is likely not even in print anymore. So, you know, what's done is done. Uh, but let's be honest, you know, no one reads the acknowledgments page anyway. That's the part that you skip right over and get to the chapter, the first chapter. So if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, right? Uh, so we're, we're doing a study on the Apostles' Creed, and, and we've come to a line in there that I almost like to think is, is a, a, a part of the acknowledgments page, page where, it's, where it's a shout-out or a call-out uh, of sorts. And, 
it's someone that's specifically mentioned by name. And, and much like me, I, I wonder if, if there was some mechanism, by the way, that they could look back down, in, in, uh, uh, down through history and say, my name is mentioned in the Apostles' Creed? Of all the villains in the Bible, I mentioned this to you in an email I sent out, of all the villains in the, in the New Testament, I'm the one that gets mentioned by name? Because think about it. He's the only one in the whole Apostles' Creed, negatively speaking, that's mentioned, that receives a call out. And so... We're going to ask, we're doing this, this, this study, and, and we're going to ask about this, this line in particular. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, um, uh, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and now suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. There's the call out. There's the, uh, the, the shout out to one specific individual in the New Testament. Now, we're going to look at just this much of the creed today. Suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. But again, I want to focus first on this name, Pontius Pilate. Am I the only one that finds it curious that of all the people mentioned in the New Testament, that, I mean, think about it, that it's Pontius Pilate. His name is mentioned. Uh, King Herod, remember him? Remember what a well, there's that Herod, and then there was the other Herod that, remember, he was, that, that was uh, the creepy one that, was, uh, that saw his daughter dancing and said, oh, I, I like what I see, and so I'm going to give my daughter whatever she wants and whatever she wishes. So what did she wish for? The head of, the John, of John the Baptist on a platter. I, I don't know if it was on a platter. I can't remember or not, but he wanted the head of John the Baptist. And he says, okay, and he does it. What about that guy? Why doesn't he receive a call out in the... Uh, in the, uh, uh, the creed. Okay, what about uh, Judas? Judas was a pretty bad guy, I would think. Judas pretended to be Jesus' friend and led the temple guards right to him in exchange for a few pieces of silver. They took him away and crucified him. But is Judas called out in the New Testament? No, it's not Judas. It's Pilate. It's Pilate. There's only one person who's given this negative call out. Okay, and Again, you, you have to believe that if he had some way of saying it, he would say, why, of all people, me? Okay, always puzzling to me, and I suppose it puzzled me the most, uh, again, insofar as all the bad guys are, uh, are concerned with in, the, in the, uh, the, the New Testament. He seems like the least of the bad guys, if I could even say that. Um, why do I say that? Let's look at the account with Jesus and Pontius Pilate. This is in the 23rd chapter of Luke. You can turn your Bibles there if you've got them, or you can follow along with me up here. Uh, but just for a bit of context, as you're turning to Luke 23, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. And here's why that's important uh, as to what's going on here. Judea, which would have been mostly occupied by Jews, was under Roman rule. And generally, the Romans gave the, the Jews a great deal of autonomy. So we are ruling over you, right? We've conquered you, but we're still going to give you your freedoms. You're going to be able to do the things you want to do, practice the religion you want to practice. Now, again, they had all kinds of autonomy. Now, the Jewish leaders at the time, they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to execute him. 
But guess what? That's a bit of autonomy that the Romans didn't allow them to have. Again, they, they weren't allowed to carry out executions without the oversight of the Romans. The Romans had to be involved with that. So Jewish leaders brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate. And the Roman governor of Judea uh, wanted to have Jesus, uh, you know, they brought him before to, to uh, this Roman governor to have him executed. So they're essentially asking Pontius Pilate to have Jesus executed. And so here's how it goes. This is Luke 23, starting in verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Again, if you're saying the fact, hey, this guy's trying to be king, he's trying to start an insurrection, is, is what they're trying to say here. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. And again, because what would happen here is, is Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Christ doesn't deny it. It's almost like, okay, king of the Jews, I'm not, I'm not at all threatened by that. I find no fault in this man, okay? But again, of all the bad guys in the Bible, Pilate is the only one of them to say, you know, I find no guilt in this man, Okay? Then after Pilate sent him back to Herod, who was the king of Judea, and again, I use that, that, uh, that term in quotes, king of the Jews, because though he was a king, he still had no power or, uh, over Rome. You know, Rome was ultimately in charge. So Pilate sent him back to Herod saying, this guy's not my problem. He says he's a king. You're the king, so you deal with him. So Jesus goes back to Herod, and Herod and his people tease him uh, for a while, but ultimately they send him back to Pilate. Now we jump down to verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Odd that he did nothing wrong, but he's still going to be punished, you know, uh, but I'm going to release him. But see what I mean? Uh, remember what we said all the way back in week one of this study. Why do we have the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed, again, it's a concise statement, a summary of, of the essentials of what we believe. And when it speaks of Christ's suffering, it says, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is that an essential? Why would we consider that an essential? You know, what we're reading here in the scriptures practically tells me that Pontius Pilate was looking for any excuse to let him go. He wanted to let him go. He basically tells the people that the charges against him are baseless. This is why, this is why I say he was almost a good guy. Pontius Pilate was almost a good guy, but then what happens? Verse 18. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and, uh, and for murder. They said, we'll, we'll take Barabbas over, over Jesus. Uh, this, uh, uh, we, we want Jesus in prison. We want you to release Barabbas. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting. Again, this is what the third try Pilate is making? Crucify him. Crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt in him deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, 
demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So ultimately, Pilate caves, right? Jesus uh, is released to the people to be crucified. And beyond the crucifixion, that's really the last we hear of Pilate. So insofar as the creed is concerned, this is what we have in Pilate. A guy who says, not guilty, not guilty. I find no fault in him. No fault in him. We should release him. We should release him. And then the way his decision is characterized in the gospel of, of Matthew 27, Pilate says this. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather than a, a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. So again, not guilty, not guilty. I find no fault, find no fault. We should release him. Innocent of this man, do it yourselves. That's what he says. That's the extent of Pilate's involvement, yet the creed characterizes that suffered under Pontius Pilate. So let me ask you the question. Why in the world does a guy like this hold such a prominent position in the creed? Why is Pilate's role essential that he deserves the only call-out in the creed? Again, if the creed represents the essentials, why is it so important that we articulate the, the involvement of Pontius Pilate? Who wants to go first? Why, of all people, Kim, is that... You're going like this. Oh, I have, I, I'll give you some time to gather your thoughts, Kim. But I'm going to go first to Tim, then Kim. It, uh, it had to be the Roman side because the Romans were the ones to execute via cross. Okay, so if it was going you are so close. That is very, that's all right. Everything you said was right. It very much has to do with the fact that, that, uh, that Pilate was Roman. That's, that's an essential component of the answer. It has, has to be Pilate because Pilate is Rome. Did you want to say something? Or? I was going in a different direction. I thought because he was ambivalent almost that he represents us. That stings. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? We're ambivalent. You know, in other words, Pilate is a bit of a weasel. Ergo, we are weasels too. And, and we're, we, we almost emulate the behavior of, of Pilate a bit or a lot, right? I was going to sort of point out the opposite piece of that, that um, it was, like, it's a reminder that we, were, we are the ones, the people of God were the ones to crucify him and not the Romans. That we, we the people of God, we, the, 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 the people, are the ones that crucified him, not, not the Romans? Is that what you said? Okay, yeah. Well, guys, we're almost there. We almost have all of it. We can be dismissed in about five minutes because you've touched on most all of my points here. And let, so let's, let's go back through a, a couple of them here. A couple things point out about Pontius Pilate. First of all, the first thing that we have to understand is not necessarily about his specific actions. Okay, it's not necessarily specific actions. We don't evaluate the diabolical nature of any of his given actions. This guy wasn't so much diabolical, as we said, as he was kind of ambivalent. He was, he was a bit of a weasel, we said. He, he was a flake. He was a people pleaser, all right? He, he was spineless. He was weak. He took the path of least resistance. But, but he wasn't a criminal mastermind, right? Like, say, Judas. Judas was a bit of a criminal mastermind. He was a deceiver, a conniver, a liar, 
con man. Pilate, he was weak and spineless, all right? And you know what? That's probably a pretty good represent, representation of who we are. We, we are that. We are weak at our core. We are even spineless at our core. If not for the grace of God, if not for the grace of God, what kind of people are we? We're flaky. We, we, we are impressed by the, 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 the shiniest object in the room. That's what we are. We're, we're, we're people pleasers. We're weak. We take the path of least resistance. We are a lot like Pilate, okay? And this is, this is certainly a reason why someone like Pontius Pilate has a mention in the creed, not because of who he is, but because of who we are, all right? Did you have your hand up? Yeah. I'm just remembering, um, as I recall, Pilate was like a governor role. And all of this is happening during Passover, which is a big festival. So there are lots of people there on the heels of this not so long ago rebellion. So as I recall, Pilate was put there on a temporary assignment to kind of keep things in check because they were worried that the Jews were going to cause trouble again. So he was kind of doing his job, you know, keeping the crowd. It, I, I feel like I, uh, it wasn't so long ago I preached on something similar to, to this idea. Back when we were in the book of Acts, and, and it's very true, is that the, the, the governors, the officials of, of Rome, were very much about self-preservation. It wasn't necessarily about, I want to be a good leader, I want to represent my people well. Not at all. It was more, you know, what, what do I need to do to uh, advance my career? Uh, and job number one of every governor that came along was you keep the peace. You keep the peace. If there's any sort of a, a hint of an insurrection, we're coming after you. So you start to see a little bit of Pontius Pilate's gears turning here. Because again, he, he looks at, at Jesus and says, I, I, I don't think I see it. I don't, I don't see guilt in him. But what do the people say? We want him, we want him, we want him. Or else what? Okay, what, it, things could get violent. And so now you're starting to see why Pontius Pilate said, you know what, I'm going to wash my hands of this because I'm going to put it on you because if, if you start to get unruly, then I'm in trouble and I would rather you be not unruly. You know, it's, it's very flaky, right? Yeah. Then he had, but he had dominion. I mean, he was in charge and, and he had a choice and, and a lot of leadership can go one of two ways right there. Either the leader's going to cave into the crowd, but that doesn't make him a strong leader. That makes him a weak leader. And what some real, I would, I would contest that a really strong leader would, would say, no, 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 I have made my ruling and these people, you, you all can just calm down or I, I will take you out. Let's just imagine Pontius Pilate did that. Then what happens to Pontius Pilate? And the other side of that conversation, in addition to that, is the other side of that, in addition to that, is that the Jews were going to get their way because they wanted this guy dead. Because the Sanhedrin, got to remember, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, from the real dead. His soul was dead for like three or four dead days. So everybody knew that he was really dead and he was raised. So then that's when the priests, oh, that's when the priests get together and say, we got we to gotta kill this guy because if he, he, or he's getting more popular He's going to come after her, and, and then we're going to lose our position of power, so we got to figure out a way to take him out. 
Yeah, you see, you see the rationale of what's happening here. You, with the, the rationale, again, it's all self-preservation. It's, it's uh, the, the Jews are insistent upon killing Jesus. We don't want an insurrection, so it's a downhill ride from here. And Pontius Pilate is the, is the road, the, the speed bump that's in the way right here. Yeah. I think it's just really, this is this really simple part. And um, his being important in the creed as an essential is that because the Jews could not kill Jesus, they were not allowed to legally, exactly like Tim said, that the Roman authority had to get permission and he was the one who did it. And it was kind of that simple. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. We've got to get you on the recording. It's the world that condemned Christ. It's not just the Jews. It's not just the Gentiles. The whole world, us, all of us that are sinful, condemned Christ. And we were the ones crying out, crucify him, because we didn't know what we needed. But the other interesting real quick thing, if you can speak on, is um, when Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to save you? And Christ says, no one, you know, it's God. The only reason you have power is because it was granted to you by the Father in heaven, right? Yeah, this is kind of on topic, but maybe seemingly a little off. In verse 13, uh, when it says, Pilate then called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people. Can we get a little more detail on who the rulers were? It was the Jewish authorities. Yeah, so it would, it would have been the, the authority from a religious standpoint because the, the chief priests and the, those rulers would have been over the Sanhedrin. And so they were the ones calling for Jesus because, again, he was, he was threatening their position. And so, again, it, uh, there, it was very much uh, uh, the, the Rome that was in charge. But, again, you have to realize this, that for the governors, for those that were sort of in between Caesar and, and the people, their job, number one job, was to keep the peace. And so, while no, the, the chief priests and rulers didn't have power, in a roundabout way, they did. Be so, so the rulers were more political leaders within the Jewish community? It's very much about politics. But yes, but at the same time, there was still a lot of politics wrapped up into it, because again, they, ultimately, they were not concerned about uh, spiritual things. It became I'm, I'm self-preservation for who I am and the, and the seat that I hold within, within the, uh, the, the spiritual structure, which was the Sanhedrin. Yeah, one more. I think of it from a practical perspective, he was one of the players in the activity that happened there in 24 hours. First, Christ went before the Father, right, and said, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. Then he willingly gave himself up to be arrested when Peter wanted him to do something heroic. Well, what if Pilate would have let him free? So, yeah. Okay, let me just ask that, just really quick. What would happen if Pilate didn't send him free, or if Pilate let him go? What would have, what would have happened? Okay, I just saw someone go like this. Okay, who would have done this? The Gentiles? Who was mostly upset with Jesus? Oh my goodness, now we're really getting into the good stuff here. Okay, the, here... Oh, you said they would have stoned him. Wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. All right? This is, I may have to pass over this illustration really quick to get to the good stuff. Okay? Because this is what I find uh, so just astounding about just that one comment right there. That the Jews, well, the Jews would have stoned him. 
Okay, uh, the illustration I have, I'm gonna condense it really quickly, is that uh, I, I like fixing things myself at the home, and I've, I've done this ever since I was a kid. I was telling a story last night to a couple people that uh, one time I tried to get into a, a wind-up watch that I had, you know, the old wind-up watches, it was a Hot Wheels watch. And I thought, I wanna see how this works inside. And so I started prying things loose and, and trying to see what it would look like inside, and when I got the lid off, all of a sudden, I mean, something, I'm not kidding you, this big, that was wound up so quite sprung, and I'm like, I am never going to get that back together again. But just the intricate details of how a watch works. It's fascinating that this gear turns, and that moves this little wheel here, and then, you know, especially with a wind-up watch, it's not running on batteries, it's running on tension. Tension that's, that's bound up, and somehow that tension then makes the gears operate. All these little things independently happening that somehow give you the result of, it's 12.04. You know, so just the fact that you see the watch that says 1204, all the things that are going on in the background happening just to make you see the time. This is, this is what I love about the Bible. It's the same thing. There's so many little pieces that are operating over here and a piece over here and a thing over there, all to get you the one result of suffering under Pontius Pilate. It was crucified. Now, here's where I was going with this after Lucy's, Lucy's uh, comment. Uh, I, again, I, I can't, th this blows me away. In Jesus' day, Jews would refer to Gentiles as, does anyone know the answer to this? Dogs, okay? And now it sounds actually worse than it is, but it's certainly not a compliment, okay? It's that non-Jews were considered unspiritual, so that even being in their presence could make a, a Jew, a good Jew, ceremonially unclean. And to a lesser extent, it would have been considered, uh, it'd, be, it'd be considered like if I go pet my dog and then go eat a sandwich. You're like, ugh, right? Same thing in the mind of the Jew. If you're around a Gentile, people who are unclean, and then I'm going to go into to worship, I'm, I can't do that. Jews are, are, are unclean, I mean, uh, Gentiles are unclean, okay? Now, having said that, let me read for you a psalm. This is Psalm 22, 6, and, uh, oh, I've skipped over something. Psalm 22, 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, <laughs> this is a Davidic psalm. David wrote it. Let me ask you this. When were King David's hands and feet pierced? I don't know either. I don't think that they were. Because this is a prophecy. This is a prophecy that tells us that Jesus would be delivered to the Gentiles and that they would encircle him and it would be the Gentiles who would pierce his hands and feet. Gentiles. Okay, it's, a, it's, another, it's another tiny gear that's turning that's, that's supposed to be doing the thing that it's doing. Who is Pontius Pilate? Was he a Jew? No, he was a Gentile. Why is Pontius Pilate under the creed? Because the scriptures told us Jesus would be crucified by Gentiles. Okay, but look, there, there's more gears turning here behind the scenes that, that's so much more complex that we even realize, okay? Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, or it might have been last week, we speak about the second Adam. Remember the second Adam? Okay, we're talking about, who am I referring to when I refer to the second Adam? Jesus, okay? The first Adam failed, second Adam didn't. Very much like I was talking about this morning in the sermon. You know, Israel failed, the true Israel did not, okay? So, why do I make that distinction? Why do we have to realize that? Adam served as your perfect representative in the garden. He acted perfectly on behalf, and when tempted, he caved. The second Adam, who also stands there on your behalf, 
also served as your representative, but, but here's how he represented you. Uh, here's how he represented you better than the first Adam. When he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Did not sin, right? Uh, he represented you and, and, and did it better, did it perfectly in a way that you could never have done. That's how he represented you. He did a better job, did it exactly right. And so there's continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's almost, it's almost like a comparison between the first man and the last man. Both are your representatives, the first Adam and the second Adam. Okay, the, the man of the Old Testament that, that drove a wedge between the fellowship of God and us, how is that repaired? How do you fix it? When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, he presents the Christ who had been flogged and crowned with thorns just before he died. Do you know what Pilate declared about him as he presented Jesus to the crowd? Behold the... Something else too. Behold the... Well, that's the lamb. That's the wrong song. Behold the man, it says. Look. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. Without even knowing it, without even realizing it, Pilate is declaring a new humanity, the new Adam, he's saying, unbeknownst to him. Behold the new covenant. Behold your, your new representative. Behold the man that represents you. The man who will not fail. The man who will fix everything. The man who will repair fellowship with God. Behold the man, Pilate unknowingly declared what was being set up all through the Old Testament. Now, how in the world is all that orchestrated? How, how is it that all these gears and tiny springs and parts seemingly independent of one another yet all work together to bring about one perfect time? How does this happen? Unless it happens of, of a divine origin. It has to be of God. It has to be. It has to be. You know, are, are you amazed by this? If you are, thank God Almighty, because it's here. It's on the record. And, and, and no one has kept the Bible secret from us. So if this astonishes you, it's because God put it in your hearts and in your minds to be astonished by this. Okay, let me bring up one more thing here. Let me bring up one more thing. Uh, speaking to the suffering of, of Jesus under Pilate, who, who delivered him to be crucified. If it wasn't for Pilate, if it wasn't for the final judgment of Pilate, this is what Lucy was talking about a second ago, then Jesus doesn't die in the manner of the death of, of, of the Romans. So in other words, if Pilate said, okay, fine, you can go, and they decide to stone Jesus to death, guess what that's working against? Scripture. Scripture itself. Okay, Deuteronomy 21, 23 tells us a man hanged on a tree is cursed. If Jesus is stoned, that is not hanging on a tree, okay? And again, you have to realize this. When you, when you start looking at the Bible holistically from, from beginning to end, you have to realize that it's telling us one story. So even something that so, seems minor, it doesn't matter how he dies, does it? Yes, because all the way back in the Old Testament, it said that Cursed is a man who hanging on a tree, and that Jesus would have to absorb the curse of God himself to pay for your sins. And it has to be this. It has to be this, because if it's stones, then, well, what was that even there to begin with? Why does that even, why does that even matter? It matters because this is the way God said it would. This is the way God said that, that he would atone for your sins by a man on a tree, Okay. Uh, again, it's not that Jesus' death wouldn't have been effective if he died another manner. 
But the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament screams, it screams out that this has to be of God. Again, it's looking behind the, the, the face of the watch, seeing all these other little parts working together. And again, it's so complex. It's so out there that, again, it has to be from God. It has to be. As Jesus hangs on the cross, hanging on a tree, proclaims the, the absorption of God's curse upon Jesus. And again, this prophecy is only fulfilled, his, his suffering and, and, and his manner of death, because Pontius Pilate turned Jesus over to the angry mob. It fulfills scripture. It, it, uh, it completes scripture. Unbeknownst to Pilate, this is what, again, it's just so amazing to me, I can't get past it, is the idea that, that Pilate thought he was in control. <laughs> but Pilate was, even, even in his, even in his uh, uh, what was the word you used? His uh, indifference, not indifference, it's ambivalence. Even in his ambivalence, he's fulfilling, he's fulfilling the word of God. <laughs> even in his ambivalence. And you don't get a greater sense of God's uh, complete sovereignty over everything that moves and breathes to know that even in the ambivalence of Pilate, he's working things out for, for his glory and for his, and for his good. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What other uh, uh, questions do you have? I'll, I'll stop with that. Do you, do you understand? Pilate's wife approached him and said, have nothing to do with this man. Like she had a dream. So is that God working in him to have that ambivalence to, you know? Yeah, I, I, wish, I wish there was a way that I could you know, clearly explain how this works. The best illustration I feel like I've, I've, uh, I've uh, used in, the, in regard to that, like how does God use this, even, even our sin? How does he use our sin uh, to even to bring about his will and again the only thing I can liken it to is the idea of walking your dog especially when you have a dog that that uh, doesn't want to be on a leash the dog tugs and tugs and tugs and tugs and the reason I'm holding on to the leash is because I don't want the dog to run out into the street right and so again if if all the Lord has to do uh, for 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 man to 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 be ambivalent is just let go for a moment let go for a moment, and he does the thing that is most desirous uh, of him. And so again, if I let the, the, the leash go, the dog could run out in the street. The dog may die, so that's why I don't let go of the leash. But sometimes God says, you know what? All I have to do to, to let you be you is, is let go. And then all these things happen. Pilate is ambivalent. The, the Jews scream for, for the death of Jesus. All, that's Jesus just saying, okay, I'm going to let you do what, what comes most naturally to you. And even through that, the Lord accomplishes his will. It's crazy. And, it's, and, it, and even those words doesn't adequately describe how God obviously works his will. You know, all things work together for, for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. How does that work? Those are the best words that I can come up with to try and explain how. But he does. He does it. Someone else? Thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is Jan. Is there any significance where Pilate um, says Jesus really isn't guilty of anything he sees, sees three times? Three times? I don't think so. I don't think, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of three events in the Bible. The, the betrayal of, uh, of uh, Simon Peter, you know, denied him three times. Uh, there, perhaps there's, someone's made a connection. I don't, I don't think there is. Uh, other than the fact that uh, I, I think it's there. Uh, to show us that this wasn't a decision that perhaps Pilate entered into lightly, that he knew, he knew that Jesus wasn't, uh, wasn't guilty three times, but in spite of that, he still 
He still caved. He still gave over to his greatest wish, which his greatest wish was pleasing the people. And again, it's not different than you and I. You know, so the, the Lord buries his truth deep down inside of us somewhere, but despite that, we still do our own thing anyway. We're very much reflections of, of, of Pilate. And so when Pilate crucified the Lord, what we're really saying is, is we crucified the Lord. Mm -hmm. Did you have your hand up? Yep. Um, this is just a reminder of something, and, and I'm going to mess it up. Um, but um, I love data, and um, the, there's over 300 prophecies fulfilled right, in Christ from the Old Testament, at least 300 that we know of. And if you were to take, I think, 48 of kind of the, the biggest that were the clearest, like, fulfilled these prophecies, like, the, the probability that one person could fulfill those is like one, or is it 10 to the 157th value, right? Just that, that's the probability, which is an almost insurmountable 157 zeros right on the back side of that. And, and I think that's just, I'm constantly reminded of these like very, very small things, like you point out dogs, you know, and, and pierced and like the importance of that. There, there's, <laughs> there's no way that it can't be true. Yeah. 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 And again, that's, that's sort of one set of gears in the watch working. Just the idea that uh, we have something explicit, like pierced his hands and feet. Uh, okay, that's fulfilled. Okay, check. That's a prophecy. But, but then moving beyond that, even beyond that, just the idea of, of the shadow pictures that we see in Jesus that, that are prophetic in and of themselves. Like I talked this morning in the sermon about Jacob. Just Jacob himself. You know how he was, the Lord touched his hip socket and was wounded he was bruised you know that even that is a shadow picture of christ and so again that's not an explicit prophecy but yet that was fulfilled too so many of these things that it, you're adding more zeros you know to the end of your your uh your probability analysis there that what is the probability that this would be fulfilled by one person it's you know it's off the charts it really is dean did you have some well i just i wanted to kind of put a bow on this just made me think of Paley's watch argument. You've, you've been kind of out talking around it a little bit. But Paley argued that you can't, it's like general revelation. You can't look at the universe. You can't look at uh, order in life and not believe there's a creator. You wouldn't find a watch in a desert and, and say, oh, this must have just happened by accident. All these things just came together. But you're making the same argument with the Bible and all these stories that you can't, this is general revelation, kind of a mirror of it in the Bible that you can't look at all this and say there wasn't purpose behind all these things. So it's, I just found yeah. it really interesting. Great argument. Yeah, that's a, one of the, the, the best apologetic arguments is that the, the watchmaker is that, yeah, there, there has to be design to the watch. It can't just have happened by time and chance. Yep, same thing with scripture. Way too many, way too many little things like that that uh, don't just happen by time and chance. You know, we'd be impressed if 10 things prophesied about someone you know, would, would come true. But then it's not just the prophecies themselves, which again, maybe in excess of 300, but all the other shadow pictures too that, again, you, over, over the course of centuries, you know, a person couldn't work that out. People, a group of people couldn't work that out. Did someone else have their hand up? I thought I saw, no? Burp. I knew I saw your hand. I couldn't figure out where it was going. After Pilate said, okay, and he delivered Jesus to their will, but he still was agreeing to the killing of Jesus so then that's when it became a Rome so the Pilate's people are the one who actually killed him I mean the Jews did not right right the Jews did not kill him you know in other words it was the will of the people 
that this was an annual event. This is an annual event where they said uh, uh, we can exchange one person for another. So they let Barabbas go, which again, if we had time to go into that, you and I are Barabbas. You and I are Barabbas. You, you and I are the ones that, that uh, were let go in exchange for Jesus. And again, all Pilate was doing was submitting to the will of the people. And by doing that, carried out a Roman death. I never thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yep, they would have stoned him. Mm-hmm. Which is anti. Even though, again, more prophecy that if they broke his bones, that would be going against uh, uh, the prophetic, prophetic words too. Okay, question. Because it still feels so very specific. It feels like such a. Because if it's to show that all of these Old Testament prophecies come true, there were so many Old Testament prophecies. And so, why specifically, Pilate? Was there like a heresy at the time or a pattern of thought in the early church that? that people were pushing back on that? Yeah, again, it was, uh, when we talked about the, the, the reason for the Apostles' Creed, one of the mechanisms that it, that it served for was to fight against false teaching. Uh, and so what was, what was, what was it in, in church history that people objected to about Pontius Pilate that it deserved a mention to be, is that what your question is basically? Why Pontius Pilate? Uh, were people saying at the time that, oh, well, it doesn't matter whether or not Pontius Pilate. Yes, because what, what the, uh, the heresy was, so to speak, or the false teaching was, uh, was that no, it was, it, was not the, it was not the Jews that killed him or it was not the Romans that killed him. It, it, was, uh, uh, it wasn't even, you know, a, uh, um, a, a death of Jesus. Some people actually argued against the death of Jesus. And so uh, that he really didn't die. And so again, you, you put the, the manner of his death and the origin of that manner in the creed, again, to specifically uh, say that it was a death by the people of God, because you have to think about that. Of all the people that quickly tried to say, oh, it wasn't us. <laughs> no, it wasn't us. We weren't the Jews. We didn't do it. It wasn't the Romans. And, and what the Apostles' Creed says is, is that it was all of us. Every single one of us. He was a representative of the people. You killed him. I killed him. And I think that's the central. And there's a specific heresy uh, uh, that goes along with that. And I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but I will get back to you with it. Someone else? Anyone else? Yeah. So we're not saying that the Jews killed Jesus? The Jews did kill Jesus. Did the Romans kill Jesus, though? Yes, the Romans did kill you. Everyone. Yeah. We, We all took part in it. Humanity crucified Christ. The, uh, better yet, let me, let me say it this way. Who, who crucified Jesus? Sinners. And, and if you're a sinner, you took part in the crucifixion of Christ. Mm-hmm. So yes, it was. And again, it's one of those things that, do you see how it worked out? It, it was the Jews. It was his own people. But yet it was also in the fulfillment of prophecy, the Gentiles, the, the, the dogs, so to speak. So yeah, Lucy, one more. When Christ says, don't worry, when Christ says, I've prepared a place for you, when Christ gives us all these promises, how much more joyful should we be that if he orchestrated, you know, no matter what man tried to do to thwart his plan, Christ died and saved us. So how much more do we know that we're going to paradise eventually, no matter how guilty we feel, no matter the circumstances in our lives, God has already ordained our future. You keep stacking these things one on top of the other, and what it proves or what it shows us is that what Christ says is true. And so if what Christ says is true, what he said about you is true also. And again, all of this is validated by, by the mere fact that he rose from the dead too. Because this is, uh, and again, we'll talk more about this during Easter, so I'll be giving you a preview. 
is that the idea is, is that if Jesus had one teeny tiny sin about him, if he told one tiny microscopic untruth, he is not sinless. And if he is not sinless, he is not raised from the dead. And if, and if all that's true, you know, since he was raised from the dead, that means he was sinless. And that means that every single thing that he said was true, including and especially what he said about you. That's how we know we can trust him. That's what the resurrection proves, is that he, he is trustworthy. And what he said, we can trust, trust, put our trust in. So it's mind-blowing. Yeah. The Old Testament's validated because he, he didn't come out and say, well, there, I want to make a correction. Right. Everything that Old Testament, he, he verified all yeah. that was true. Yeah, the, the, what we have in the Old Testament, uh, you know, sometimes you might ask, um, is, uh, is this, is this, are these the right books? Do we get the right books in the Old Testament? It's a little bit easier to verify the New Testament. The Old Testament is a little bit harder because how do you, tra- tra- you, know, how do you trace a line to you know, the, the authors, the origins of the, of the Old Testament authors. Some of them we don't know. We don't know. We don't know who the authors are. So how do we know that they're of apostolic origin or prophetic origin? Well, Jesus himself, at that point, when he came in reading the scriptures in the temple, he could have said, this is the word of God, except for Ruth. I don't know how that got in there. So let's see. He could have said that at that point, but he didn't. He accepted the, the, the Old Testament as, as it was. And so therefore, because he accepted it, we can accept it too. And again, even if he's winking at an Old Testament book that really shouldn't have been in there, deception, sin, he's not sinless, he's not raised from the dead. It all falls like dominoes, right? So it's beautiful. I love it. All right, let me close this in prayer. And then uh, if you have other questions, please feel free. We can uh, do this all day, right up until Super Bowl time anyway. So you're <laughs> just kidding. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we are left in, in, uh, in wonder, uh, because I think we could. We could talk about this for hours. We could do this for hours, just point to the, the mystery of the Bible, uh, so complex like uh, a watch that we can't even imagine, yet so simple, that gives us a, a clear direction, a clear uh, command. Uh, follow me. Follow me, and we thank you that your, your word is true, and we thank you that it's proven to be trustworthy and that we can trust in the things that it says and the things that your, your son told us are true. Uh, help us to believe that, even in our darkest moments and in our doubts. Help us to, to remember these things uh, so that we can uh, have our hearts filled and then tell other people about it too. Thank you for your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all.